Hello and welcome to this very special RFDS podcast, Renewed Horizons Beyond the Pandemic, a wellbeing tool for the RFDS community to help manage the current phase of COVID-19 with resilience, compassion and courage. I'm Katrina Blowers, Seven News presenter and proud ambassador for the RFDS Queensland section. And in these podcasts, we're holding space for healthy and real conversations about the valuable lessons we learned through COVID and some tools and advice we can utilise today to make the transition out of the pandemic a much smoother ride. But before we dive in, the RFDS acknowledges the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast on, the Turrbal peoples. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, including those listening today. Ready for takeoff? Let's begin. Jacinta Jones is the state manager of Aeromedical Nursing. She's worked for the Flying Doctor for more than a decade. Her very first posting was at Mount Isa. She's delivered babies on the tarmac under the wings of an RFDS aircraft and rescued a station hand on a remote cattle property all in one day. So she's seen a few things, but nothing could have prepared her for the challenges of flying on the front line during the pandemic. In this insightful chat, Jacinta shares with us what goes through our flight nurses' minds when they retrieve COVID-positive patients, how they navigated the anxiety and fear the PPE gear provoked in people, even themselves, the integral role the RFDS played in the rollout of the vaccines, and the ways in which teamwork provided the ultimate bond to make their unit stronger than ever. Jacinta Jones, thank you so much for joining me on the RFDS Wellness Podcast. How are you going in this stage of the pandemic? Excellent. Thanks, Katrina. Um, And thanks for the opportunity to talk um, with you about the pandemic. We've been responding to it uh, for quite a while now, a couple of years, and we've certainly learned a lot along the way. Personally, now, I think we've come out of an an unknown period um, that we certainly had at the start where we were making decisions um, for our teams, the level of PPE and the procedures that we needed to follow um, based on that evidence, although it was minimal at the time, um, trying to make the best decisions for our our crews and our patients. And we've come through quite a long journey of changes, um, which we've had to communicate with our staff and and react to um, from the Queensland Health um, Government um, processes as well. So for us um, as an organisation, we've we've pretty much come around to um, working with it as business as usual. COVID is well and truly here to stay. Um, It's certainly not the first uh, illness that we've had to deal with. Um, we obviously deal with emergency patients all the time, so emergency and traumas and, and really um, intense situations. So our team generally um, is quite used to responding and supporting each other through those challenges. And COVID has certainly become one of those challenges that we have learned to respond to um, through that information sharing and supporting each other um, as best we can, knowing that we all need some downtime as well. So it's um, a great break to have the PPE off, um, as we've all felt. And then sometimes you feel a bit odd if you don't have a mask on in the shops even. So it's interesting how quickly we get used to new things, some such as mask wearing. But it's certainly nice to be at the point we are now where um, we're still obviously very aware and we and we have our policies in place. But we've we've learned a lot and we've, we've come through that um, unknown period to turning back to business as usual. 
Yeah, take us back to the beginning of the pandemic, right when this was fresh in everyone's minds and paint a bit of a picture for us about the dynamics of your team and what your team looks like and how you started to have that conversation with them about, I guess, the shifts that would need to begin occurring. Yeah, absolutely. So we had to focus on our personal protective equipment firstly. Um, and again, there was a, a lot of variety available. So different, even different RFDS sections were using different available PPE. So through to the powered respirators, um, coveralls, gowns, obviously gloves and goggles, um, and always a mask. So initially we were, I'll say quite overwhelmed with the additional PPE, not actually the wearing of it, but probably the donning and doffing, getting it on and getting it off safely um, without contaminating ourselves was probably the thing that most people were concerned about. Um, I was involved in a video out on the tarmac of the donning and doffing and I certainly couldn't hear anything once I had everything on. So we not only had to deal with wearing the PPE but also thinking about how we were going to communicate with our team members while we were wearing the full PPE, but also for the patients. So we had a couple of pickups out of Brisbane where we landed in the community um, and we were doing a hospital to hospital transfer. And considering our patients and when we step off the aircraft, it's quite daunting, but when your medical crew steps off the aircraft and they are fully kitted um, in PPE, literally head to toe, it's quite daunting for the passenger, you know, for the patient to think, wow, that, they're going to wear that. It's basically a hazmat suit. Um, it was quite daunting. So to come full circle now is really is really great for our crew but also for our patients communication with our patients was really hard with our masks on um, and we know body language is so important so if you literally can't even see the person that's caring for you um, that level of care could be altered just because we, we can't communicate with them as effectively as we would want to. Talk us through firstly how you communicated with your team members. What what did you, what special practices were you doing? Sign language? <laughs> did you have whiteboards? What did you do? No, actually I don't even I, I don't know of any special techniques, but certainly a lot of preparation before we gowned up and and before we put all the PPE on um, so that we didn't have to communicate quite as much. I know um, in another section they actually bought um, audio equipment. If you were riding a motorbike you might use to talk to someone else that was riding a motorbike, they bought this earpiece so they could talk within the aircraft just because it was so hard to communicate. But for us, yeah, planning, um, preparation, talking before we got gowned up and then managing as best we could, but certainly being aware that our patients are going to perceive us differently dressed in that PPE. Um, and they might be sick, but we don't want to make them feel as though they're so unwell that we can't even have some contact with them because that personal contact, as we know, is is so important. Yeah, and are there specific kinds of patients who would struggle more with, with that heightened anxiety? I'm thinking, you know, children or the elderly. And, and what kind of things did you do to get around that? I think when we meet um, our patients, it's usually you know, it's already a very stressful day. Um, they're already very unwell. They're leaving their community. Um, for a lot of them, they're leaving animals and, and loved ones at home because they're literally flying away from their support network. So part of our role, um, even under normal circumstances, is to support them through the illness um, and and whatever's, you know, the prognosis and, and how what the next steps will be, um, but also in, in giving them information about what to expect and helping them manage what they're leaving behind. So it could be animals, family members, other children as well. So it, there's a lot happening for that person. Um, and then trying to reassure them, often it was a conversation of um, 
this PPE is is not about you. Um, certainly when Brisbane was in lockdown on, and there was a higher risk in Brisbane, we would be flying out to vulnerable communities. So we would reference the PPE as protecting the community actually from us because we didn't want to bring COVID out to the communities that hadn't been exposed um, and that we certainly consider more vulnerable communities. So um, that was our focus of our PPE as well, not just protecting our staff, but protecting the communities that we serve. So we would speak generally about it, obviously make a point to say this is, you know, this is a directive, this is statewide, we need to follow these procedures to keep us safe, but to also keep your community safe and making it feel more like a team effort that we're working together with each other, with our crew, with our with the hospitals and also with our community to uh, to combat COVID and to reduce the risk to everyone. Mm. Did you do things like uh, make an extra effort to have more engaged eye contact, for example? I'd say absolutely. Um, conversations at the start were really important just to explain who we were, make sure they could hear who we were and the processes to go through. Anyway, once you start flying and the noise in the aircraft, it's difficult to communicate anyway. So our flight nurses and our pilots are excellent actually at at making those initial contacts. And our environment is quite unique in that the most time that we'll spend with a patient is four hours. So we're very aware that we need to make that connection really quickly, get to know them, let them know that we're there to care for them and, and our focus is going to be on them the whole flight um, and then equally at, at the handover to the next team. And, and we will always point out where the patients come from, treat them with that individuality. They're not just another patient. This is, you know, Bill from Gundawindi and give him that recognition that he's come and, and, and we care for him mm. genuinely. Do you remember at the beginning... Because I certainly remember back when, say, the Delta variant was the the predominant variant and there was uh, a lot of anxiety just in the general community about being in confined spaces with, with other people, especially people that you didn't know. And I know for you guys you had the PPE on, but you are picking up people you, you don't know, how ill they are, how, how transmissible that virus was and vice versa for them. You are on an aircraft, as you say, sometimes for four hours at a stretch. Cast your mind back to, to that moment in time. How did you manage that, that uncertainty? Yeah, I think I think we're quite trained for that. I remember my first flight nurse interview, that was a question, how do you go in confined spaces? So I think we're trained, trained for that. Um, and with the addition of the PPE, it probably actually gave us the safety level, again, that we did have that layer of protection. And it made most of us think back to a time pre-COVID that we didn't wear masks all the time or we didn't add that additional layer of safety for ourselves and our patients. So, yeah, there was some anxiety, but it was also more awareness. We became more aware of simple procedures that we could do to make that a safer journey through that cross-contamination from ourselves or our patients. Um, Certainly we reviewed our cleaning of our aircraft um, and added additional layers onto that, which we've still continued. So if there's a a good side or or a bright side of of a pandemic, which I'm sure there's not, would be that we've got greater awareness moving forward of what needs to be done. And and yeah, it might be that PPE causes anxiety, but it also gives you a level of safety so that you can sit in the aircraft for four hours. We don't need to know what the patient's got because we know that we're protected or equally that we could be, you know, asymptomatic, pass it on without knowing, but we're wearing a mask. We're following our PPE guidelines so we can be confident that the patient's safe from us as well. What do you do now? I, I know that the, the, the full PPE is no longer the requirement that it used to be. Do you have? Uh, do, you, do you provide that as an option for, for some of your team who, who might still feel a bit uncertain or perhaps you're going into a community which you say is vulnerable? 
What, what, what do you do as a standard practice now? Yeah, absolutely. So for all of our patient contact transfers, we have an N95 mask um, for all of our crew members and we offer a surgical mask to the patient for, for their protection as well, um, as tolerated. Some patients um, already have them on. Some patients will um, opt to carry them if they felt, like you said before, a bit anxious because they were close, to, you know, it's too close to someone. They can pop it on themselves or once they get into the hospital, often that's the comment. They say, oh, I'll, get, I'll put it on once I get into the hospital because they don't see the aircraft as a risk area. It's more once they get into contact with a lot more people in the hospital, it's um, a little bit, you know, removed from the hospital environment. Um, we also gloves for patient contact um, and eyewear, so uh, either a face shield or goggles, and that's our standard. Um, and we do a standard clean as well after every patient. And then if it was um, a higher level, we would also wear a gown over the top of that. And like you said, we also still have the option, both of coveralls and also the powered respirators for any team members that would like to wear them. Now, I know that a lot of people who have other jobs had that option of working from home, but you guys did not. And I'm imagining that many of you have partners and family members that were at home during that time and, and, you know, during those lockdowns were not seeing other people regularly in the community. Did you ever have conversations with your team about the, the types of chats you were having with your own families about being out there in the community, seeing people who potentially might have COVID? I know that you were following you know, excellent practices, but there's still that slight risk that you might be coming into contact with people who have COVID and maybe even bringing it home. Yeah, absolutely. And we did consider that um, through our own communications, but through our practices. So we had um, the sharing facilities for our crews before they went home. We introduced scrubs as an alternative to our flight suit uniform. So if you'd done a PPE transfer, you could shower um, in the workplace completely change your clothes and and go home. Some of the bases had washing machines as well and dryers so that staff could wash any clothes that they'd worn for work purposes. With the lockdown, I think at some points we were the fortunate ones because we could go out, as you said, go back out into the communities and and see other people and have that contact. Um, I know some of the, I think the work from home perhaps wore off for certainly some people and they would have rather just gone out and gone back to their own routine and and seen other people because it could be quite isolating. But yeah, the work from home was definitely um, different and good for traffic. That's something our crews did notice that the traffic getting to and from work was much better. So again, another slight bonus um, to working during the pandemic without the work from home component. Uh, And then knowing our support staff um, were working from home, but were still Um, part of the team and still contactable to keep doing their roles as well. I know that there's no typical day in the life for you, but if you could just describe for us, what what does a day look like for you and your team? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, yeah, 12-hour shift come on um, here in Brisbane. We will go anywhere between Brisbane up to Cairns, um, out as far as Birdsville and Quilpie, um, potentially, you know, Longreach and everywhere in between up and down the coast, which is the beauty of flight nursing. Um, but normally we'll come in and we'll check all our, our equipment, make sure everything's um, charged and, and in date and, and everything's ready to respond. And then we'll be given work from either Retrieval Services Queensland or our traditional RFTS tasking. And then, yeah, we're, we're given that clinical information. We get to, to you know familiarise ourselves with the patients that we're going to be going and collecting um, and picking up from, from wherever we collaborate with the pilot and do some, have a look at the the routing and they'll do the flight planning, weight and balance, fuel requirements. Um, and then we come together and if we need a doctor, if the patient is more critical, 
um, or a bit unstable, we'll also bring a doctor on the flight as well. So as a team, we talk about the day and what's ahead um, and how we'll manage it to the best of our ability. Uh, and then, yeah, head off to anywhere, which is great, and meet the community out there and either, yeah, pick up the patient straight from the tarmac, um, usually met by the ambulance, or we go into the hospital if they're too unwell to come out to us and take all our equipment in there. And um, and it's really great to be able to provide that support to the regional, remote and, and rural facilities that they know that um, they've got someone that, yeah, is beyond the scope of their treatment within that facility, needs something more and we can facilitate that for them. Do you have any figures on how many COVID-positive patients you've had to pick up during the pandemic? I don't, but I know early on we, we literally didn't have any. We were ready ready to respond. And then as Queensland was quite insulated, which was great, the southern states were certainly um, had a lot of numbers, we were quite minimal. And then certainly now it's more that the non-COVIDs are almost equal to the COVID patients. As we've developed our practices, we need to yeah have that standard PPE because, as we know, some tests can come back negative and then the following day they could have a positive. Um, so we're just treating everyone the same so that our practices don't need to be you know backdated. And in hindsight, we should have worn different PPE, but we just made it standard now, which is easy and clear. But certainly moving forward, from this point, we've learnt a lot and we can apply all that knowledge. Initially, at least, back when, you know, COVID uh, was presenting as a much more serious virus, uh, do you remember what was going through your mind or the minds of other flight nurses when you had to go, you heard that there was a COVID-positive patient and, and you were coming into contact with that person? Um, I, I think it's. I think it comes back to experience. So we've done other stressful cases we've we've dealt with other infectious diseases tuberculosis just just to name one certainly our northern bases move infectious patients with with the same precautions with the airborne so i think we were up for the challenge and we were confident having that experience and and like i said it's you know certainly nothing that we'd come across recently but if there's a challenge as a team we'll we'll address it so i personally wasn't anxious. I thought we'll get our guidelines. We'll we'll get what we need. We'll get the resources that we need, and we'll move them. We'll move our patients where they need to go with whatever they present, whether it's COVID or, uh, you know, a medical condition or a trauma or a mental health um, concern. Whatever they need us to do, we'll be able to do that. Is there a particular uh, incident or anecdote that that comes to mind that stands out for you throughout this pandemic that you guys had to deal with as a team? I can only remember wearing the coveralls personally, flying, and I mean it was almost humorous to be, to be honest. Yeah, we we were all masked up and we were and we were shielded up. And I think the patients, you know, they they were just, it was a just in case situation. Brisbane was in lockdown and we were flying out to Quilpie, which is a long way. It's about three hours. And I got out of the aircraft and the crew that was there to meet us. It was very early on in COVID, and they didn't get out of their ambulance at all. They, normally they would come out to the tarmac and they would come to the aircraft and, you know, we would greet them, but they, they just didn't come out. Um, and it was because I was in the hazmat suit and they literally thought, I don't know what she's got, but I don't want it. So I went and tapped on the window of the ambulance and, and for somewhere like that, so remote, they were probably thinking, you know, it'll never come out here. And fortunately, you know, I wasn't going to take it out to them on the RFTS aeroplane, but um, sorry, that's the only thing I can think of that was a bit huge yeah. to say, yeah, this is unknown. To see, I mean, you see it on the news a little bit. I watched a movie called Outbreak, you know, as a kid with the monkeys in it and they had those suits and that's literally what we look like. So appreciate that the communities um, was not the normal site for them either. So considering yeah, how we felt and how we looked, 
uh, and the impact that we would have on the communities. I definitely definitely think it would be a much bigger challenge for people in remote communities who perhaps, you know, felt quite insulated from, as you say, what they were watching on the news were big outbreaks in places like Sydney and Melbourne, not so much Brisbane, but it, it felt like possibly it was a bit further away, at least in the early stages. So, seeing you guys land and normally the the sound of that RFDS plane would be hugely welcome and and kind of exciting but there'd be that sort of oh especially when they saw you in the the full PPE there'd be oh this is real this is actually happening. Yeah absolutely yeah no that's right we're meant to be reassuring the community not not bringing out the unknown or the the anxiety so yeah and and that was definitely a example of having to explain this is standard this is what we have to do this is the current directive from Queensland Health this is to keep us safe everyone safe and with that understanding they were then reassured and they gave us the patience. Yeah yeah mental health um, has been challenging for everyone during during the pandemic it's been an unknown and uncertain time and everyone's had their own different challenges to deal with For your team, what have been some of those main areas and and what practices have you put in place to deal with those? Absolutely. I think for us um, it was definitely that information sharing and people wanted to do the right thing and wanted to follow the current directive, but it was it was difficult at times to keep up with the latest recommendations or the latest requirements. So I think the anxiety probably came from crews not knowing. Um, and I did have a pilot say to me on one occasion, I'm just going to watch you and whatever you're doing, I'm just going to do that. Because, you know, they trusted that we would know the most up-to-date um, directives and they were literally changing each day. So communication was really important for us as, a, as an organisation to get that information out there um, and also have the support. So our executive leadership team had a hotline that anyone could call at any hour of the day with a question um, and if they weren't able to answer it, they would escalate it um, either to our medical team or, or wherever it needed to go. So we needed to support our team. We run a 24-7 service, so we need to recognise that there's going to not going to be questions just between eight and five. People could have questions Sunday night on a night shift. I've been tasked with this and I'm not quite sure. So really open communication and great support. So from our leadership team um, with our nurse managers and our senior-based pilots just being available to troubleshoot all of our COVID tasks um, went through our chief medical officer and our state aeromedical lead for consideration earlier on um, just so that we were confident that the precautions were put in place for that transfer and they were all approved now as, as it's become more frequent. Um, our crews are just directly being tasked with COVID transfers. But we're, we're certainly a lot more confident in our procedures. We've done them for, for quite a long time now. But certainly early on, um, it was about that, that open support um, and that you could literally just ring, ring a, one phone number um, and someone would pick it up and give you that advice or at least go and find the answers that you needed to get on with whatever you were trying to do. Being on the front line during a pandemic is a unique enough experience, but as an aeromedical nurse, there, there aren't too many of those in Australia. You've had an even more unique niche down experience than most. Has this brought you closer together as a team? Yeah, absolutely. I think anything that's uh, a challenge, so anything that's out of the routine, um, challenge, and certainly we've, we are still um, aware of, you know, cases amongst our staff and they might be home and, you know, unwell at home. So we've had to, you know, cover shifts as we would. You might have someone off for, you know, seven days or someone's child might have had it and then they need to be off for seven days. So I think that's the backfilling um, and covering for each other um, has definitely been significant 
following those directives to say, now you need to isolate for this period of time. Also being aware that travel has been limited. So referencing, you know, our mental health and, and having those breaks. So our staff members who, you know, had holidays planned um, were then unable to travel either overseas or even just locally. Um, we've needed to be really aware of that to say people have been under the pandemic conditions, they haven't had their normal leave or their breaks uh, mentally and physically away from the workplace. So recognising that it's an ongoing situation to to keep that support there, not just finish when the when the news has stopped talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it finally, if you had one learning that you could share uh, something, it could be big or little, that, that has really moved the needle forward for you guys, what would it be? I think just information, sharing information, don't expect people know what you know. So share and and be open, be open to those questions. And I mean, I think it's quite common to say that there is no silly question. So especially in in this environment and and ask it as many times as you need to ask it. So having that, having that positive response that if, if you have a question, we can all learn from the answer. I absolutely love that. I agree. As a journalist, there is no silly question. <laughs> I've certainly made myself look silly plenty of times, but I'd much rather that than uh, stay silent and never know the answer. Jacinta Jones, it has been so delightful talking to you. Thank you for everything that you've done for our community over the last two years. And thank you for joining us and sharing your story with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Katrina. And that ends our journey together on this episode of our special RFDS podcast, Renewed Horizons Beyond the Pandemic. To learn more about The Flying Doctor, visit flyingdoctor.org.au forward slash Queensland. I'm Katrina Blowers and until next time, stay safe and stay well.